0: Come now before the Lord and ask His blessing on the preaching of the word this evening. Father in heaven, we do ask that you would feed us by your word. We know that your word is, is our daily bread, our spiritual daily bread. And, and we are asking, Lord, that you would nourish us now as we come to your most holy word and as we consider these wonderful truths that are contained within it. Would you strengthen our faith, O Lord? Would you help us to know what we believe as your people so that we might live. Accordingly. Father, strengthen strengthen your church, uh, not just so that we might be strong, but so that we might serve you all the days of our life. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. As I said, we'll be considering Baptist Catechism question thirty-two. And that question asks: How are we made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ? And I will ask you to repeat after me, and children, I I hope that I hear you repeat after me these little phrases here. Okay, You should be used to doing this, maybe you do this in the home. How are we made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ is the question. And here is the answer. We are made partakers, partakers. adults too, not just the children, of of the redemption purchased by Christ, by the effectual application of it to us. By his Holy Spirit. Spirit. Very good. Let's go now to reading God's word, Titus 3, verses 1 through 11. Only one of these verses will be our focus, but it is good for us to read the whole context as well. Here, Titus receives this letter from Paul, the apostle, Titus being a pastor. And here, Titus is encouraged by the apostle Paul with these words Remind them, that is the church, to be submissive to rulers and authorities Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. So far the reading of God's most holy word. May the Lord add His blessing to the preaching of it this evening. As we come now to question 32 of our Catechism, I think it is important to note that it marks the beginning of a new section in our Catechism. Now granted, if you were to open up our Catechism and you were to... Put your eyes down the page and consider one question and then the next. You will not find any headings there. But these sections that I'm here referring to, they are recognizable if you pay attention to the themes as they're being developed. Clearly, our Catechism develops one theme and, and then the next. There is a rationale to this, and this theme, these themes can be identi- identified. Uh, for some time now, we have been considering with the aid of our catechism, the person and work of Christ. Questions 24 through 31 identify Jesus as the Christ. And those questions and answers considered His person, teaching us that He was and is the eternal Son of God come in the flesh. And they also considered His work who was he? Well, we know he wasn't as the eternal son of God come in the flesh. And what did he do? The catechism also considered his work and did teach us that he has fulfilled the offices of prophet, of priest and of king. That should sound familiar to you. What did Christ do? Well, he did the work of a prophet. He did the work of a priest. He did the work of a king. This he did perfectly so in obedience to the father. It was there in that section that we learned something about what Jesus the Christ has accomplished for us in His humiliation and exaltation, that is to say, in His life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. In brief, we learned that Jesus has accomplished our salvation. And as I have said, questions 24 through 31 have summarized for us what it is that He has accomplished. What work did He do? Well, there we learned all about that. But with question 32, the focus shifts away from the accomplishment of our salvation to the application of it to the individual. and So I want you to listen again to the question, how are we, that is to say we who live after uh, the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ, made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ. Stated in a different way, Jesus the Christ accomplished many things when He was born into this world. As He Lived for us and died in our place, and rose again on the third day, ascending to the Father's right hand. He earned our salvation. He did the job that God the Father gave him to do, but now we ask, how do we come to benefit from this salvation which Christ has earned for us? How it is applied, How is it applied to us? How do we come to be saved, living so long now after Christ's time here on Earth? And the answer given is very simple. Again, we are made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ. That is just a restatement of the question, isn't it? By the effectual application of it to us, by His Holy Spirit is the answer. Stated differently, it is the Holy Spirit who applies the redemption that Christ has earned to the believer. And the Spirit is always effective. He gets the job done. Christ earn salvation for God's elect and the Spirit does apply this salvation to God's elect. He gets the job done is what our catechism is rightly teaching. I mentioned this morning, and this is a bit of a tangent, but I think it is interesting to notice that our salvation, therefore, is Trinitarian. We know that God the Father sent the Son. God the Son came in obedience to the Father and lived in submission to His will, accomplishing our salvation. Now, God the Holy Spirit does apply uh, all of these benefits that Christ has earned to the believer, uh, to the believer even today. Now, this answer, the one that our catechism presents, might have surprised you. I'm not sure that it did, but it might have surprised you. If, if you stopped to think about the question before reading the answer, uh, how are we made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ, you, you might have thought to yourself, well, the correct answer must be by faith. It is by faith that we come to be saved and to have all of those benefits of redemption purchased by Christ as our own. Perhaps that was the answer you were expecting to hear. Now, please hear me. That answer, by faith, is certainly true. It is certainly true that we are saved through faith. It is when we believe upon Christ that our sins are forgiven We are declared not guilty before God. We are washed and adopted as sons. All of those wonderful benefits are indeed received by faith. As Paul so famously says in Ephesians 2.8.4, By grace you have been saved through, what does he say next? Through faith. So faith is that instrument whereby we receive salvation, where we receive the forgiveness of sins. And I will have you notice that our catechism will soon Teach that very thing. In fact, if we were to look ahead to the next question, question 33, we will hear all about the salvation that Christ has earned being received by faith. Question 33 will ask, how does the Spirit, how does the Spirit apply to us the redemption purchased by Christ? See, it's a development of what we're learning here. But how does the Spirit do this? And listen to the answer. The Spirit Applieth to us the redemption purchased by Christ by working faith in us and thereby uniting us to Christ in our effectual calling. And so our catechism does take us there eventually. So if you were asked, how do we come to be saved? Or how do we come to have the benefits of the redemption purchased by Christ as our own? And you were to say, we receive it by faith, by trusting in Jesus, you would be speaking truth. That would be true. But you would not be telling The whole truth, the whole truth is that before we believe, the Spirit of God must move upon us to make us willing and able to believe. Uh, This is what we call, perhaps, regeneration. Uh, The Spirit of God must work upon our hearts to make us able and willing to believe. And that is why our Catechism says this first. Before our Catechism gets to the issue of faith, faith is the instrument whereby we receive our salvation. Our catechism first talks about the Spirit working. The Spirit must regenerate us. That is, the Spirit must make those who are dead spiritually alive. Regeneration precedes faith. It must. I might ask you this question. How can one who is dead to the things of God believe upon Christ? How can one who is blind spiritually see the glories of Christ? How can one who is spiritually deaf hear the good news and believe. How can one who is hostile and an enemy of God surrender to God in Christ unless he is first subdued? And that is what we are here addressing. Our catechism teaches that before we believe, the Spirit effectively applies this redemption purchased by Christ to us through regeneration. Regeneration precedes or comes before faith. And that is why the first thing that we say in response to the question, how are we made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ, is by the effectual application of it to us, by His Holy Spirit. God does something to us before we respond in faith. Not only does this teaching make sense in light of reason, as I have said, those who are dead spiritually cannot believe upon Christ unless they are made alive, etc. But the scriptures do also teach this positively and very plainly. I want for you to listen to these Scripture texts very carefully. I'm not going to take the time to turn there with you or to ask you to turn there, but listen very carefully to these passages of Scripture. John 1, 11-13, for example. Uh, speaking of Jesus, the text says that He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him, but to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I wonder if you caught what is being taught here by the Apostle John. His own people, that is the majority of the Jews, did not receive him. Those who did believe in him, he, Jesus, gave the right to become children of God. And these, that is to say, the ones who did believe, were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Here we are taught that regeneration precedes faith. These who believed upon Christ and received all the benefits that Christ has earned, these were born of God. Not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Regeneration precedes faith. John 3 also teaches this. Do you remember how Jesus spoke to that man Nicodemus? Saying, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John 3.3. 3. And then again, a little later in their conversation, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The words of Jesus are very clear here. He's saying to Nicodemus, you won't see, let alone enter the kingdom of God, unless the Spirit of God regenerates you, unless you are born again. Regeneration precedes faith. And do not forget John 6, where Jesus spoke to that crowd that came to him, saying, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So there they are hearing the gospel, but Jesus is being most blunt with these people who came to Him because they thought He was going to give them physical, earthly food. But He said to them, no one can come, no one is able to come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws Him. And of course, the Father does draw people through the agency of the Holy Spirit. And again, in John six sixty five, we hear the words of Christ, this is why I told you that no one can come to Me unless it is granted Him by the Father. Regeneration precedes faith. And consider also what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. A very famous passage there as well where Paul says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. What is the meaning of that? Natural people, that is those who are unregenerate, who are Only in the flesh, who are dead spiritually, they are not able to understand the things of God. They do not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to them. This is Paul, in other words, saying if someone is to receive the things of God and if they are to respond in faith, the Spirit must work. Regeneration precedes faith. What will the natural person do? What will the person who is unregenerate do? When presented with Christ, he will not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to Him, and He is not able to understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. And perhaps you noticed that I only quoted a very small portion of that famous passage in Ephesians 2 earlier, when I used it to affirm that salvation is received by faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith, I said. And that is true. If you wish to be saved from your sins then you must believe upon Christ. And we must preach the gospel and urge people to do that very thing. For faith is the instrument whereby salvation is received. But Paul says more in that famous passage. He continues on saying, And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. In other words, your faith is not your own doing. It is a gift from God if you believe it is because the spirit has made you willing and able to believe that is the teaching of the the apostle regeneration must precede faith now, that Titus 3 passage that we read at the, at the beginning of the sermon i think is very beautiful in verses 1 through 3 and also in verses 8 through 11 paul says something concerning how the christian should live given the new life that is ours in Christ Jesus there there are wonderful exhortations there for christian living you should go back and read those for yourself uh, given that we are made new in Christ that we are made alive in Christ we should live lives that are different from the lives we used to live is the summary of what paul there says in verses 1 through 3 and 8 through 11 but in verses 5 through 7 we learn something about the question that is at hand how are we made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ in verse 5 we learn that he that is, God and Christ saved us. If when asked, why are you saved? You answer, because I believed upon Christ. You are telling the truth, but you are not telling the whole truth. So why are you saved, brother? Why are you saved, sister? What would be the whole truth? What would be the whole story? What would be getting down to the root of the matter? Your response ought to be, because God saved me. Why am I saved? It is because God saved me. He took the initiative. He did something to me before I responded in faith. That would be the whole truth, and that is what is being presented here in Titus three five. Verse 5 continues, saying, not because of works done by us in righteousness. So here, Paul is not only saying that it is God who has saved us, but he is clarifying the source of your salvation is not in any sense in in you, not because of works done by us in righteousness. Now, certainly faith is a righteous work. Faith in Christ is a righteous work. Faith is something that you exercise. It is something that you, that you do. It is a righteous work. And in fact, uh, when Jesus was asked by that crowd in John 6, what must we do to be doing the works of, of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He has sent. So what must we be doing to do the works of God? What does God require of us, Jesus? And here is what Jesus said. You you must believe in Him whom He has sent. That is the work that God requires of you. And then He clarified that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and so on and so forth, as we read uh, just a moment ago. But there Christ refers to belief in him as the work that God requires. Belief in Christ is the work that God requires. But here in Titus 3:5, Paul insists that God saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness. Well what is his point? Well I think he is eager to say that he um, I think that he is eager to say what he also said to the Ephesians that it is all by the mercy and grace of God that we are saved. He, consi- he continues in verse 5 saying, But according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. If you listen to that language very closely, I think you could actually hear Jesus' words to Nicodemus in that passage. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless, is one, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. That's Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. And yet Paul uses that same sort of language here as he's writing to to Titus, um, emphasizing that we have been saved because of God's initiative, because He has in fact regenerated us. He has washed us. He has renewed us by the power of the Holy Spirit that has been poured out upon us richly in Christ Jesus our Lord. Indeed, this is what God has done for all who have faith in Christ. By His mercy, He has washed them through regeneration and renewed them by His Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. And this He has done, not because we believed, but in order that we would believe, for we were dead in our sins. Regeneration precedes faith. The end result is found here in verse 7, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You might notice that Paul nowhere mentions faith in this passage. It's not as if Paul has forgotten that for by grace you have been saved through faith. In fact, he refers to these uh, Christians as he's writing to Titus as those who are in the faith. This is, of course, what he believes. But here he is emphasizing something different. And that is the fact that it is God who saves us, and He saves us by the power of the Holy Spirit to regenerate us and to make us willing and able to believe. It is God's work from beginning to end, though indeed we must respond with faith, as we will soon learn. Now, how are we made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ? Uh, The very first thing we must confess is this. Repeat after me again, brothers and sisters. We are made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ. by the effectual application of it to us, by, the of it to us by, his holy by his holy spirit now let me conclude with three very brief points of application one this truth that regeneration precedes faith puts pride to death where is there room for boasting friends if our spiritual life is only owed only to the mercy and grace of god the answer to the question how are you saved cannot begin with the word i but can only begin with the word he. God has been merciful to us, and that is why we live. He has given to us even the ability to believe upon Christ for the forgiveness of sins. This teaching puts pride to death. Two, this truth that regeneration precedes faith means that no one is out of God's reach. I suppose that we might consider some particularly vile sinners as being beyond the limits if it were indeed true that salvation depends first upon our ability to believe, But if it depends upon God, then no one is beyond the pale. God is able to make dead men live. This He has done for you and me if you are in Christ, and this He can do for the most vile of sinners. And so we must preach the gospel to all who will hear. And three, if it is true that regeneration precedes faith, then we must proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ boldly, praying that God will do His work upon the hearts of those who hear, and we must leave that work To him, he must move. Let's bow together for prayer. Father in heaven, we are grateful for the salvation that is ours in Christ Jesus. And as your people, as those who have faith in Christ, we do confess that it was your work. It was your work that brought us to faith. The Spirit did move upon us to open our blind eyes, to unstop our deaf ears, to make us alive so that we might believe you have been kind to us, God. Put pride to death in us where it remains. Help us to be bold in our proclamation of the gospel. And as we proclaim it, we do pray that the Holy Spirit would move in power. God, we know that He must. And so we ask that you would do this work in our midst. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen.